Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Welcome to another episode of the Out of the Question podcast. My guest today is Peter Allison, and for Chalcedon folks, if you were to go to the resources section of our website and put in his name, you will see that Peter has written articles for Chalcedon. He's hosted a couple of our Book of the Month Club episodes in the past. And in general, he is well-read, well-versed, and teaches lots of what Dr. Rush Dooney and the Chalcedon Perspective is all about. Calcedon Vice President Martin Salbretti told me, you really need to bring Peter Allison back on as a guest. And the question that I'm going to pose to you, Peter, is since Dr. Rush Juni for the last, well, since he wrote it 50 years ago, was talking about the collapse of humanism as a failed system, and we see evidences of that. The question I'd like you to discuss with me today is, how do believers prepare for the collapse of humanism? Well, thanks, Andrea, first of all, for uh, for your uh, invitation and, and opportunity to talk with you again. It's always good to be back. I guess to go back maybe as much as 40 or maybe 45 years or so when I first met Dr. Rush Dooney personally, you know, this this was a question that I regularly heard growing up. And you know, back in the 80s, back in the late 70s, you know, interest rates spiked and gold spiked and there was war in Afghanistan and mortgage rates went real high. And, you know, there were a lot of people saying this this is it. And, of course, we've hung on for and continue to exist for um, another 40 years like the frog in the proverbial pot of hot water as things have, I think, continued to crumble around us. And when I think about how to prepare for this, I'm beginning to see it more as a process and less as the preparation is certainly a process, but the collapse is, I think, also a process. And it's not so much a uh, point in time. As I look back over the last uh, 40 years, uh, there have been certainly events, significant events that have happened that have been somewhat of a turning point, and people say we, we don't go back. But I see it more as a it, yes, there are. I acknowledge those there are those turning points, but I see it more as a process, a, a progress of a, a more like a jack. You know, you jack it gets jacked up and and it clicks in place, and then it, things get jacked up again and, and clicked in place again, and people wake up and begin to realize what's happening at different points. So Christian parents started 60 and 70 years ago. And the first thing they were starting to do was to pull out of uh, out of the government schools. I went to a school when I was young, started out there in California in 1959 by Christians who were recognizing things were wrong in government schools and did something about it. And of course, you know the history I think all of us know that history of the progression into Christian schools and then from there into homeschooling. And we've seen each of those movements get you know, very big and then the next movement start. And I think uh, as the, that, that, that process just continues and, it con- and we continue as Christians to 
look at all the institutions that we've grown accustomed to and begin to think and evaluate them biblically. What, what are the principles in which they're operating? Why are we participating in this? Is this a legitimate institution, an illegitimate institution? If it's a legitimate institution, we need to reform it. If it's an illegitimate institution or illegitimate authority, then we need to abandon it and build a parallel institution on one more biblical foundation. You make a point, and I'm not sure all my listeners, some are newer to the ideas of Chalcedon than others. When you talk about evaluating a legitimate versus an illegitimate institution, what do you mean by that? Sure. Yeah, that's a, okay. That's a very, very uh, important question. So I would say a legitimate institution is one for which there is biblical authority for it to exist and to do what it is doing. So, for example, we, we could take any any institution. Let's just take um, government schools. Is that a legitimate or an illegitimate institution? Well, if we look, I think, in the scriptures, we see that the authority, and I think we have to ask, you know, when we ask, we ask the question, what's legitimate or illegitimate, we are asking the question, what's the authority? Where is the authority for this institution? And to whom has that authority been given? When we ask that question of education, we see that the authority in scripture is given to parents to teach their children. They're commanded to do it in many places, you know, very well-known places in Deuteronomy 6 and so on and, and other places. And so there's the authority. When we look at the government school, we see that that does, that, that is where the state, the civil government the, or the civil magistrate has arrogated or assumed that authority. And so that's an illegitimate exercise of authority. And so we would say that's an illegitimate institution because the civil magistrate has no authority to be the one who educates our, our children. So people wised up and said, uh, Dr. Rush Jr. wrote his books, Intellectual Schizophrenia, Messianic Character of American Education. And so people removed their children from state schools and either homeschooled or started Christian schools. So do you think when people have the idea that we're going to go in and reform the public schools, inherently that is a fool's errand because you're reforming something that doesn't have biblical jurisdiction? Exactly. A number of years ago, I I ran a, a large private school, and I went to lunch with a pastor of a, we, we met in some very large churches. I went to lunch with a pastor of one of those churches who had just come out of a seminary, a, uh, what is a Reformed Baptist seminary. And he asked that question, you know, why, and this is back in the 90s, back in the mid, early 90s. And he asked that question, you know, what, why did we think we needed to have Christian schools? And, you know, why, why didn't we want our children in the government schools to be salt and light? And and my answer to him was basically, well, do you think you should, do you send your children down to the brothel to, to reform it? And he goes, well, I should have known you'd have an answer for, for me. But yeah, we, you, it is. A, a fool's errand is, is a good way of describing it. You can't reform something that's fundamentally broken and, or fundamentally immoral and wrong. This is where I always go back to the idea of learning God's law to find out For example, it's not just a lesser of two choices going to a government school for the Christian. It's going against God's mandate. 
And I was having a conversation with someone recently, Peter, and they were surprised to find out that the prison system, as we currently have it, is an illegitimate institution. And uh, I guess for so long, everybody has been touting law and order and we need to have this prison system. But how could one remove oneself from the prison system since... Ideally, you're not going to try to get into the prison system as an inmate, but is it wrong for Christians to even be part of a system, being a guard, being an administrator, if it in its essence is illegitimate? I'm hesitant to say it would be wrong for a guard, for somebody to serve as a guard. And I take maybe, for example, when Naaman came to Elisha to be uh, healed, and he was converted, and uh, then he asked Elisha about his duty in Syria with in, in accompanying the king into a, an idol, idolatrous worship. And Elisha seemed to recognize his situation and didn't tell him, no, you need to remove yourself from that. People ask me that about government schools. Should they teach in a government school? And my answer is, well, I don't advise it, first of all. I don't think it's maybe good, but but sometimes that's where people are. That's where their ability to earn an income is. And, and you know, it, it takes time to extricate ourselves from, from it. I, I've got several other examples, but my answer in that case is, well, you need to not compromise your Christian testimony. You can't be silent about things. And if that means you get fired, then that means you get fired. Uh, prisons is, is is an example. The social security system is another example. I think, as of many other examples, I think we have to recognize that, that sometimes we are in bondage. We didn't get into bondage in overnight. It came over several generations, and it will take a generation or two in some cases to be able to build the parallel infrastructure, the parallel culture or the parallel institution so that we can shut down the other institution or escape it. And so that's a process using the Federal Reserve notes. Actually, when you pass a Federal Reserve note, by pass, I mean, use it in a transaction, you're negotiating it. You're actually breaking the bad check law. You're, you're negotiating a note, a payment demand, because that's what those are. It's a payment demand like a check that you know the issuer will refuse to redeem. And to negotiate a note that you know the issuer will refuse to redeem is basically passing a bad check. So all in all these ways, we're we're in gate we're deeply embedded in some of these things, and it's not easy to to get out. I I respect people that try and that do it. I've watched, uh, let's say, a number of generations of people try to escape some of these things, and it, it's very difficult and often the next generation ends up falling back into them, often running back into them. Some of us, a lot of us, were born into this counterfeit system. I mean, when the Federal Reserve came about, I wasn't born. When Social Security came about, I wasn't born. The prison system, government schools. So it can look hopeless, and there's a whole group of believers who admit that it's not good. And so their hope is, well, we won't have to live through this. We're, we're going to be removed from it. But if you don't yeah. hold that perspective, then you have to say, so what do we do about it? Well, don't you think the first step is recognizing 
the things you just said about Social Security and Federal Reserve notes, if we have a disdain for something that we know is not biblical, we're more likely to find ways out, don't you think? Absolutely. So, it, yeah, we, that's the other side is you can't, we can't just fall back and say, well, it's hopeless. We, we, we can't do anything about it. So we're just going to ignore it. I think we need to be actively working how to help the next generation take one step forward in the right direction. And that, that means sacrifices for us and in, in our generation. But, you know, I, I don't, if you're, if you're born into slavery, the Bible, recognizes that as a condition that sometimes we're not able to get out of. And it says, if you can be free, it's better to be free, but it's not a sin to be in bondage when you're born into it. It's, it might be a sin to have fallen into it, or it might be a sin that led to being in bondage. But for those that are born into slavery, it's, it's not wrong. And, and the Bible does provide, I think, for it talks to slaves and how to, how to live in slavery. And aren't those slaves to live according to God's law so that they're above reproach in terms of they're in a situation they can't get out of, but that doesn't give them license to ignore the law of God in the midst of it. Right. So a good example is Jesus in the Jesus command that if somebody compels you to go a mile, go with them too. He's talking about somebody that's in bondage that is compelled to go a mile. Well, right there, there's, he's a, if somebody is, can compel you to go a mile, that means you're a slave. So he's talking about, you know, somebody living in, in a society where they're not totally free. They're not free. And, and Jesus command in there isn't to say, no, you know, you're wrong for compelling me to go a mile. He's saying, go to, in other words, you know, be cheerful. And I, I'll give you a personal example where this, where this, I realized I needed to apply this. Um, so those of us that are, you know, more than a, a couple decades old, remember the day when you could fly without going through an X-ray, an X-ray machine. And when that came, it was it was a temporary emergency, a temporary measure for terrorism. Well, I always apply the rule that the more we resist these incremental changes, the better we are. So I never use that, not because I'm worried about the x-rays per se. I don't think that's a a real concern, but I I don't want to, I don't want to promote or help or accept in any way this change. And if everybody did that, it would go away. It, It would, it would be recognized as not adopted. But even though I'm the only one that, that I see around not going through it, I still not go through it. Now, and so as I get a pat down, I could glare, I could glare at the TSA agent because he's breaking my constitutional right. But I realized that this is something not right about that. And then I realized this is what Jesus is talking about. I've been compelled as a slave to undergo something that isn't right. And the attitude is be willing to go too. It's, it's not saying that that's the ideal. It's saying if you're a slave in that system, that's not ideal. This is how you should behave and think about it. Change my perspective. I at least yeah. No, I can see that. I can see it because number one, what's the alternative? You beat up the guy who's doing the pat down. He's just, Mm -hmm. as he would say, doing his job. This is how he gets paid. And yes, if enough people said we won't do this job, then they wouldn't have anybody to do the job. But we know that there are plenty of people, at least in our culture, who would take it. And so. 
What you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is you can be a witness. You don't have to be nasty to the the pat downer. You can engage the pat downer. I, I know one person who I think you know as well, who would then, as he's being patted down, would say, so are you aware of the fact that this is unconstitutional and that this violates this part of the Bill of Rights, etc.? And it's something that you should look into because I don't know about you, but I would like to know that my job is something that, you know, God would honor. Yeah. Did he, yeah. did the guy quit afterwards and no big success? No, but we're giving a witness and the martyrs gave a witness to the veracity of their commitment to Christ. And as we're told, that built the church. Right, exactly. And you can't give that witness if you're, you know, glaring at them and, and being like put out by this. You can only give them that witness if you're cheerful in that. And so, you know, you're right. The martyrs sang hymns and um, they weren't angry toward their persecutors. You know, pray for those who persecute you, you know, bless and do not curse. So I also think that if you take a look at the last three years, an institution that is ripe for leaving would be what people call the medical industrial complex, pharmaceutical companies. And so for Christians to pursue holistic, natural remedies for things and and not decide that as soon as something hurts, they have to go run to a doctor who will then tell them to take this medicine or have this test. I think that it's an area that I believe is ripe for reformation, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. About 10 years ago, or a little bit more, I guess, I came to the conclusion that we need to treat medicine the same way we did education. The first thing is to call it what it is. It's government medicine. So I started calling it government medicine. And then I said, okay, what's the next step? How do we get out of government medicine like we we got out of uh, education? And it's a little bit harder. But I think over the last 10 years, I've just been walking that direction. And there was a time probably about seven or eight years ago where I got a bit, I was out biking in my neighborhood and I got a very severe dog bite, a pit bull grab that got a hold of my calf and uh, didn't let go of it for a bit. And so it was a pretty bad wound in more than one place, one large wound on my calf and another one. Eventually I got home. Now I had just bought about, I had about two months earlier, I had just bought my very first piece of equipment with the idea that I, you know, we need, just like we invested in education, not, we need to invest in medical treatment, not the, not the broken, uh, worthless technology of government medicine, but, but the technology of uh, wholesome biblical medicine. And so I had just bought this device. It was maybe a $4,000 device. And I got home and I was sitting in my rocking chair with my leg up. You know, we were working on trying to dress it and take care of it. And it dawned, I realized maybe this is the Lord testing this resolve here, you know, or this, this idea that I have. And just the timing of it seemed to be the Lord saying, are, are you serious about getting out of government medicine? So we were treating it with this device and, and other things. And, you know, the end of it is I, even though it was a very large, you know, I'm sucking several inches in a pretty gaping hole. I never went to the doctor, didn't go to, didn't go to the urgent care or anywhere, didn't get any stitches. We, we cared for it at home using the technology that we had available and it healed up without any scar whatsoever. You can, you can, um, 
run your my finger I can run my finger across that so all those sites and they're perfectly smooth see we've so long put our trust in somebody else in this area and a lot of us just have never really studied medicine or thought too much about it until we've become so sick as a people in this country that you know we we've been forced to a little bit but but I think it's really important that when you're doing this, that you're studying, you're, you're knowledgeably applying treatment and not just blindly trusting somebody's pill because there are a lot of snake oil cells. And there are, I think there are more snake oil salesmen in what I'll call outside of government medicine. There's lots of them in government medicine, but there's a lot outside. So this it, is not a run out and buy something or, or, and it's going to fix everything. This is, a, this is a multifaceted. There are many different modalities uh, of treatment and technology that need to be investigated and understood. And, you know, not everybody's going to go the same way or use the same kind of technology. But basically, uh, what I was using in that particular case, and, and I've, you know, I've purchased other things since, but in that particular case, it was a microcurrent um, device. So you make up a, a good point here you already were traveling down a path of investigating things and then a dog bit you. It would seem to Mm -hmm. me that one of the emphasis in home education or Christian education shouldn't be so much. You got to go to college to get a good job that you should become knowledgeable on how your body works and the things that are not necessarily prescribed by the FDA, but evaluate them and do research I remember one time, Peter, I was at a in a restaurant talking with my husband and I was just explaining something that I had learned. And this couple was obviously eavesdropping and that was okay with mm-hmm. me. And she got up and she said, are you a doctor? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not a doctor. She said, no, because I am a doctor <laughs> and you're talking about things and you're talking about them so knowledgeably. No, I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on TV, but I know a lot and I can evaluate when somebody says you should do this or you should do that. And I've had many a discussion with doctors and I say, no, that's not proven. And if you look at the studies and they're like, okay, okay, okay. Just like we had to learn how to educate our children. We have to learn how to help the body heal itself because God put that capability. As far as how you reform a prison system, well, you don't vote for all the bonds that say we're going to build a new prison because you're supporting something that's unbiblical. What other areas do you think need to be explored and with the patient understanding that this is a generational thing? Well, so I think the only biblical use of a only biblical purpose of a prison is as a whole, temporary holding for somebody facing trial for a serious crime like murder. And that should be a speedy trial, not something that takes years. I think the place we have to start on the prison system is is with the laws themselves and bring, bringing the laws to focus more on the victim's rights and making the victim whole. And, and so if we look at theft, for example, how do, you know, instead of sending somebody to prison, why don't we change the punishments to allow them to work off that debt. Let's, let's start with the white collar crime. You know, Jeff Skilling. Why send him to prison and and just let him sit for whatever he did in there? How about having him go to work? He can still support his family, but all of his labor 
the profits from all of his labor go to paying the people that were defrauded. And there has to be some, you know, leave him some incentive for himself to work so the more, you know, he can live by that. The, the profit goes to, goes to paying off victims instead of going to jail. So let's start there. Then we can expand that to criminal theft and, and other forms of that kind of fraud. I think we need to get rid of the laws that make it illegal to own own leaves. And the Bible gives very clearly gives the authority to own plants, to have possess plants, to to buy and sell in those in plants that bear seed to people. And Romans 13 says there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are ordained by God. And that word is exousia. It's a right. It's often translated other places in, in the New Testament as a right. So rights are, you know, is an authority from God that he's given. And so when the civil magistrate resists a right, resists the authority of God, which they do when they outlaw the ownership of green leaves bearing seeds, uh, then they are resisting the ordinance of God. So that's an area of law that I think needs to be Re-examine, and, and there is some momentum in that direction. So we can, if we can, take advantage of that momentum as strategic Christians, take advantage of that momentum to change the penalties, uh, well, to remove the penalties for those kind of laws. That will do a huge. That, that will have a huge impact on on emptying prisons because a lot of it is substance crimes. So I think those are those are some areas to start. But I'll admit that's not an area I've done anything in. No, and not everybody can do everything, but there is someone listening who might say, yeah, that really does interest me because I see the injustice of what's going on. Because, And I know you know this, the Bible has two remedies for crime. If it's a capital crime, you lose your life. If it's a crime that's not in the capital category, then you make restitution. And the Bible even gives specifics based on your intent when you went about and did something that was wrong. But if people don't know it, so that's why just because Christian education started 50 years ago and people homeschool, now we have to work on what do they think is valuable to know so that they can build these parallels economies or institutions yes uh, and then there is also uh, there's a category in the middle where uh, where rest- financial restitution isn't sufficient and there needs to be corporal punishment there there was allowed for a, a, a beating um up to up to 40 stripes and which uh, some nations still have uh, i think singapore was one uh, they, they used to have it i don't know if they still do but and to give you an idea of how weak the church has become in so many areas People would be horrified to say that you're going to give somebody 39 or 40 lashes. Well, it wasn't enough to kill them. There was a limit. You couldn't go beyond it. But is having somebody go to a prison, which is higher education of crime and all the debauchery that goes on in prisons, what's more inhumane, sending somebody to a place like that, which shouldn't even be there, or having them get the message that pain is a deterrent. And so people won't do the same kinds of things if they have to pay the price for it. Exactly. And it's a public humiliation as well, which is a disincentive to many too. What about investments and finances? 
People have money in pensions. People have money in IRAs. How easy is it to actually take what you said and decide, you know what, I'm not going to defraud people with cash or digits or whatever it is. What would be a first step people would take? Well, for, for IRAs, actually, there are groups. Uh, I, I know of two people, uh, for example, one uh, enables people to buy houses with their IRA, and the other one enables people to buy gold and silver, precious metals with their IRA or or 401k if you have the fun, if you have the ability to move money out of it. But an IRA, you can uh, become a self-directed IRA and buy gold with it. And you can't have physical possession of it, but you don't have physical possession of your Federal Reserve notes anyways. In fact, they don't, there's nothing that actually exists. So it, it's a step in the right direction, even if you can't have physical possession of it. Uh, you can, Buy it, and you it's stored in a custodial account at a, a bullion storage facility, and you can inspect it. You can go make an arrangement to cite the gold, you know, and and uh, make sure it's still there at any time you want. And then you can make withdrawals directly from that custodial account in actual metal. You don't have to sell it. You can simply take a distribution from your account. So that's um, a good example of seeing the problem and being creative. And that's really what I hope for the generation who has been schooled in biblical ideas and applications because they're in a better position to see the problem as the problem and then creative ways to deal with it. Right. So now in California, like I said earlier, when we were talking before we started, I live in California and that should tell people a lot in terms of our taxation and our regulations. And so there are a lot of people who are turning their backyards into gardens and they're going to grow vegetables and they're going to grow their food. And I believe that if you have the space and the inclination, but that's not going to be something that everyone can do. If you live in an apartment, that would be more of a, a struggle. I'm not saying people shouldn't find a way to be self-supporting, but there may be the need for that. But to me, everything needs to be geared towards how can I stay in the game to serve the kingdom of God? You're not advocating setting up your life in such a way that you can go into a cave and you don't need anybody else and you're just going to wait till you die. We still have to serve the kingdom of God. Talk a little bit about the orientation of putting these things in place, but not losing the bigger picture. Well, I think that's a good point. And that problem has is not new to us. Uh, I mean, the uh, the early church had people that did the same thing. You know, the stylites, they lived on poles and things in a way to get away. And I think that's fundamentally, we have to realize that sin comes from within us and we can't escape sin by holding up in a cave because we carry that sin right with us into the cave. So I, I think the key there is, well, for me, in my own life, it was the church. So, well, let's say around 1980, early 80s, when I was young and knew a little bit, that was my tendency is to want to do those kinds of things. And the only thing that's, you know, the the militia movements were getting going and and, and that sort of thing. One, having a family, you realize you have responsibilities there. And But secondly, as the church, I said, I, I don't want to get ahead 
and outside of the church. If I have to leave the church, the true church, then then something's not not right. And so now I want to be in a Bible believing and, and Bible practicing and kingdom oriented church, but I want to be I want to be in fellowship with them and and not running outside of that. And so for me that was a personally that was a very helpful and very necessary and very glad for that moderating influence on and so that was i think a a key and i think should continue to be a key that that when we want to take these steps we should do so in consultation with our elders in the church and now we need to pick a good church obviously to be a part of but we we want to be in fellowship and be in uh um, i think uh, the presbyterian government which is the derivative of um or which from which republican government was derived I think is has a lot of merit in that it's representative and it's broad you have you're not just your single church but you have association of churches across a state and across the country so you have a, a broader pool of wisdom and experience to to back go on so I think one is to stay in the church and to work within the church and to bring people in the church along and you can certainly be a, a harbinger, a uh, you know, a somebody who's continually bringing these questions up and and wanting to discuss them. But I think it's most helpful to you know, to be talking from your own experience and 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 teaching within the church, so that you're bringing the church along in this. You have to be oriented to kingdom service, not just self-preservation. Yes, our forebears yeah, okay. in the faith. Not everybody had a cushy life. And not everybody died of old age, uh, you know, peacefully with all his family around him, but that we never lose sight of the fact that we are to be proclaiming the crown rights of Jesus Christ. And the whole idea of Christian reconstruction is building and you got to do the first floor before you do the 10th. What are our duties as Christians? If we're husbands, we have duties as husbands. If we're fathers, we have duties as fathers. If we're church elders, we have duties as elders or deacons, as members of a church. So what does the Bible say? The kingdom of heaven consists of. It's not outside of us, but, but it's righteousness and peace and, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And um, it's, not, it's not the externals. So I think that's to be the starting point of our understanding. And, and when we look at what should we be doing, we need to be looking to those callings that, that we all have. And asking, how do we carry these callings out more biblically and working from there outward as, as the Lord gives opportunity, you know, our ministry opportunities will expand and, and we can then speak from our experience and what, and the ministries outside the home will, will be born from within the home and will be based on the foundation that has been laid in, in our homes where we're practicing these things and then we, we continue to add to them and to add to the work we're doing in, in other areas. You're obviously aware because you've, you have been a student of Dr. Rush Junies longer than I have, that jurisdiction has a lot to do with stuff. So you pointed out that education was a family concern and that the civil government, since we live in a statist time, wants to get its hands into everything. And yet there are some things that actually surprise people in conversation. I mentioned the prison system, 
But talk a little bit about licensing, the state licensing births, the state licensing marriage. What's wrong with that? Is that one of the jurisdictions of the state? That's a very good point. No, absolutely not. I did not have state-issued birth certificates for a number of my children. So, yeah, Social Security, um, any li- marriage license. So mar- when you get a marriage license, that is essentially making the state a, a party to the marriage covenant or the contract. So you really have a three-way contract or three parties involved in that. And I don't think a lot of people think about that when they get the marriage license that they are inviting the state to be a part of their of their marriage. But but again, that First Corinthians seven is very clear where the authority comes from to conduct a marriage. It's the father of the bride and and the bridegroom that uh, have that jointly exercise authority in in a marriage. And uh, certainly, a, a young lady needs should should consent or not. And fathers need to and must respect that. But but the fundamental authority has nothing to do with the state. So to ask the state, you know, a license is permission to do something that is otherwise illegal or wrong. Marriage, again, it's one of those authorities that God has not given to the federal government or any government, civil government. He's given it to the family. So all these things, defending ourselves, even the practice of trades, like to be an electrician, to be a medical doctor, to get back to the government medicine. These are things that need to be resisted and avoided as to the greatest extent possible. And I know of a number of doctors that have given up their medical licenses and practice uh, outside of the government system. This has been an area of recent awakening for me in terms of some of the the germ models. Uh, there's a number of doctors. In fact, um, Former Pfizer chief medical officer for respiratory uh, illness, uh, Mike Yeadon, and uh, I think he was he was the vice president of Pfizer at their Kent facility, and Pfizer closed it down several years ago, and he moved on to another company, but which he then sold for for a good profit. But he just recently came out publicly and stated that based on evidence and, and papers and document scientific data that he'd been shown recently by, and he named, he named the people who I'm familiar with, um, he said he no longer believes that there is any such thing as a respiratory virus. You know, so this is the kind of information that starts, when you start looking outside of the, of the government walls around medicine, you start finding some very surprising things. I, I had no idea. That just becomes another area to to look into, and it takes you know any doctor that's licensed that says that or even certainly practices that way or even says something like that in any public way would lose his license. And yet um, there are doctors that are saying, oh, well, this is this is where the science goes. So what that means is, and I, I've actually had this conversation with people who own their own businesses, who are in favor of Christian education, homeschooling, and I've said, do you give preference to homeschool graduates? Do you give preference to people who've gone to a Christian school? Well, you know, I mean, why is a college education important for you to hire someone? Mm-hmm. Well, it means that they went through tough things. Yeah, it also means they were indoctrinated and to get along they had to go along. So we not only need to have people willing to go into these fields and 
do the work of, you know, these, these enterprises, whether it's law, medicine, business, faithfully according to scripture. But then we need Christians who will patronize these people and say, yes, I'll go to this person and not be so quick to have someone else take full control of their health care, full control of their children's education. In other words, we're really talking about self-government if we're going to have these other areas improve. Licensing, the whole area of the licensing in the trades is more about monopoly control of entry, entry into the trade and government control of that trade. Uh, for example, in the, I have a couple sons in the heating and air conditioning business. And you know, the, the government is able to exercise a fair bit of control through the licensing process on, on, on uh, this whole area of hydrocarbons and, and the freon and things like that. These are, yeah, these are, these are problems very much so. Yeah. And people have to recognize them as not just a problem, but they're contrary to what the word of God says and be willing to stand up for it the same way that we're not going to use somebody's pronouns just because they say we have to, we have to be honest and true to what our senses tell us. The same is true for um, you must get this shot or you must have your children vaccinated. You have a responsibility before God to do what's right, not just go along to get along. Exactly. Uh, and and that may mean some sacrifice. So uh, being you know, losing access to banking, for example, is one thing that a lot of people are facing now and some in my family, difficulty, you know, restrictions on banking. I know, uh, I, I think one guy that's really a good, a good example here is the Gab founder, Andrew Torba. You know, he's, he's living this, um, being denied, um, access to credit card payment systems, access to banks and, and so on. And so he's, he's having to develop everything outside of these channels and it's it is harder there's no question about it it's just it's just like it was harder to homeschool back in back in the 70s than it was to send your children to to the government school it took a lot of dedication you didn't have all the resources available that you do today but it's it's a sacrifice that uh, we made and and we're gonna have to keep making these kinds of uh, decisions and being willing to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom and, and seeing the long term, uh, where, where things are headed. What's the trajectory that, that this puts us on or doesn't put us on? That's an interesting thing when you talk about we'll have to make a sacrifice. Let's go back to the sacrificial system. They had to make a sacrifice. They had to take their best without blemish, which maybe would have bought a substantial price in market or be very delicious, and they had to sacrifice that. So built into the idea of Christians having our lives be living sacrifices, it doesn't have to be sacrifice equals pain. There's joy that comes in obedience. And when we're obedient, then God does things like part Red Seas or have, you know, mm-hmm. people who are trying to kill you suddenly not be around to do so. And so I think mm-hmm. people are waiting for, show me that it won't hurt. And not mm-hmm. only is that not scriptural, but they miss out on the joy of obedience. Exactly. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Lord helps those people that are working uh, 
in the right directions. And it can be used in the wrong way, but I think there's a right way to understand it that the Lord helps those who help themselves is actually a, when understood rightly is is something that's or or, or at labora you know work and pray. pray pray for that for which you work but work for that for which you pray the, the two have to go together and it's kind of like in a in a when you're in a fog and you can't see the road in front of you or you should say you can't see the road more than a couple feet in front of you when you take a step down that road at least as far as you can see the lord will allow you to see farther down that road and uh, that's been very much uh, my experience uh, when I don't see really where something's going, but I do see enough to take one step in the right direction. Then you begin to see things more clearly. It changes your, you know, it changes your way of thinking it, when we start acting in accordance with uh, what we do know. And I think that's what Hebrews uh, 5 and 6 talk about there when it talks about having our senses trained through practice. To discern uh, good, good and bad, or evil and and good, that it, it we do have to be practicing. We can't um, in order to have senses that can discern what's what's right and what's not. One of my well, I have a lot of favorite passages in scripture, but one specifically is the image in the book of Malachi that when we do what God says, we will not be able to outrun His blessings, and that's such a great picture. Whether you're yeah. a fast runner or a slow runner, however fast you go, obedience brings blessing. And I think yeah. that too many people don't really trust the fact that that's true right. because they want to hedge their bet and kind of have their feet in both camps, but straddling the fence not only doesn't work, it hurts after a while. Yeah. It sure does, you know, especially when the two things get farther apart. Yes, but, absolutely. Yeah. What areas should people explore? and what template should they use? So, for example, I imagine you run into a lot of books and you look at the index, you look at the table of contents, you look at the bibliography and you go, eh, not so much. And then there are others you'll say, I didn't even necessarily agree with this perspective, but there's an interesting discussion about this topic. And so having yeah. having your presuppositions, your biblical presuppositions intact so that you can explore things and just yeah. because someone doesn't so, agree with you, you know, politically or even religiously doesn't mean something that they say isn't useful. Exactly. Well, okay, I'll give you I'll give you for example, healing is voltage is for for the medical area. Healing is voltage. There's a book that's actually pretty comprehensive that we, you know, that gets you started, we get you started in one area. In other area, and medical is actually what I've recently been, you know, been spending the most time with the COVID. That so that that's born some interesting um, developments. And uh, uh, another area would be Andrew Kaufman, Mark Bailey, a doctor from New Zealand. And Andrew Kaufman, again, uh, I don't think one of them may be a Christian. The other one I'm pretty sure isn't. But but so you got to be careful. Not everything they say is helpful. But I think they've got some good ideas in medicine, a good place to, to start in, in another line of research of thinking on medicine. So of Dr. Rush Dooney's books, which would you say have been most helpful to give you what I said before, the template with which to evaluate other things? I found a lot of his books to have good things in them. As far as one, probably the the volume one of the institutes is a 
is a good place to start. He covers a lot of area in there, a lot of ground. I think that's a good place. And there was that book, that compilation. I, most of my exposure has been over the years has been to all the newsletters and things that were were published and the different articles in there. The compilation of his position papers are in three volumes and the compilation of his articles that he put into the Chalcedon Report. And both of those are available, one under the title An Informed Faith and another Faith in Action. And I find them very useful, not that you have to go from page one and go all the way to the end, but they're indexed so well that if your focus is medicine, you'll find areas where he's discussed it. If your focus is education, is it economics, is it civil government in terms of the Constitution? And that's why I believe people like you are very, very helpful because I can trust where you're coming from. And, you know, you're not going to say, well, the Bible does say this, but it doesn't really work here. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for basically saying how you've made your way through your life and helping your family and guiding other people in your church. Are you open to people getting in touch with you to ask questions and start dialogues, things like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Very happy to to do that, I um, might learn something. I probably will. <laughs> and how would they uh, reach you? My email is prorega, P-R-O-R-E-G-E, at dollarnonsense.com. Uh, and that's D- dollar as in the money, D-O-L-L-A-R-N-O-N-C-E-N-T-S.com is is one probably the easiest way. I, you can call to 466-7685. I take phone calls too. In terms of your church? Crowncovenantchurch.org. Well, thank you again, Peter. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you again. Out of the question podcast at gmail.com is how to get a hold of us, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.